0: Ken Nickerson, to this day, one of the major reasons I moved to Silicon Valley to build my other two venture back companies is because he gave me that advice and encouraged me to go. Like that one email from Frank McKenna changed my life forever. And that's when I really understood the power of mentorship, being around people that have done it before, because they compress decades into days, man.
1: Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. We see-
0: Dan Martel, thanks for coming. Brandon, my pleasure, man. This is going to be fun. I'm committed to making this one of the best podcast conversations you've had. Dude. And I know you've had a, the best. I've had some good combos. But it's because we're going to plug in. All right. It's I just you this. and I. I love it. And I'm an open book, so
1: oh, unintended. Open book. <laughs> Let's get into uh, your story a little bit. So I know you as the author of, obviously, Buy Back Your Time, which we're going to talk about later. I know you're a tech entrepreneur. I know you run a SaaS, what do we call that, a SaaS uh, so it's training, SAS like, yeah, training Group. company. Yeah, it's one of the largest in the world called yeah. SAS Academy. Okay, so I know, I, like legit in YouTuber, we're gonna call you a YouTuber now. I will accept that title. you just passed 100,000 subs, yeah. congratulations. Thank you, eight uh, years in the making. Yeah, I've actually followed you forever and I don't know what, like long, long time ago, I followed you from something and I just, you've always just popped up on my feed now for years, so uh, you're doing something right. Thank but you. But before all that, that's who Dan Martell is today. Who was Dan Martell? Start anywhere you want. Man, I was hyperactive so a lot of energy. I got
0: diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11. Good hearted, but always got in trouble. I mean, it was kind of funny. My dad always joked, you know, like your brothers would do stuff, but you would always do stuff and get caught, (laughs) right? Like it was just this running joke. But I mean, I uh, unfortunately grew up in a family where my mom was an alcoholic. And so there's a lot of issues at home, I'll say. And you know, I grew up in a colorful environment, man, where I had way too much time doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And I got introduced to drugs when I was 13. And just like everything I've done in my life, I go I'm kind of an all-in guy. That's why I don't play golf because like, I don't want to lose my Dude, marriage. I'm the same thing. Yeah. So I ended up hanging out with people like kind of Hell's Angels types, doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing and ended up in prison twice by the time I was 17. No way. Yeah. Dude. in prison yeah well it was it was a juvenile detention the first time second time i stole a car i I essentially had anyways i did a bunch of stuff yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) obviously i wasn't an adult so i'm good but i'm just not proud of it man yeah i just i just feel bad for the people obviously i hurt but um i ended up stealing a car to try to get away and i had a handgun in a backpack sit next to me and I, i made a commitment if the cops stop me i'm just gonna pull the gun and let them take my life really yeah and i got in this routine like exited to get gas routine roadblock and when i pulled up i just gunned it and tried to get away i actually made some pretty good distance for a second and ended up in this neighborhood and i came around the corner i saw an open garage door and when i i thought i could like get in close you know obviously i watched too many car chase movies and i smashed into the side of the house and i went for the gun and it got stuck as i was pulling on it really so it didn't happen yeah, man. And I woke up sober the next morning in this jail cell in this small town in the middle of nowhere. And I didn't know what I was looking at, I didn't know I was looking at three, four, five years. I'm 16. I'd already been to jail prior and I ended up getting sentenced to about a year and a half due to the severity of my crimes. I went to an adult prison called the St. John Regional. I grew up in the East coast of Canada and yeah, man, it was, it was hell on earth. Yeah. What is
1: prison like for a what, 17 year old 16 yeah years?
0: i mean i'm sure it's different for everybody but the general thing is is like you know like i said i always knew i was a good person inside i just made bad decisions yeah so here i was trying to like stay out of stuff stick to myself and like not get involved in the, the prison politics but man it's it's just part of the culture so mm-hmm. it's like if you do something somebody doesn't like and they call you a goof you got to say something. Yeah. You don't want to be relegated to, you know, what they call a PC person, protective custody where you're always getting picked on or whatever. And like, I was a bigger kid, but it don't matter. There's gangs, right? Sure. And one day we're having breakfast and this guy, Kirk, I don't know. Like, you know, when you're in high school, there's like these guys that didn't work out, but just had an eight pack. Yeah. Yeah. That was this kid. I was like, how are yeah. you <laughs> so friggin' muscly? You're, hate those people. Yeah, you're like 15 <laughs> and he goes for the coffee and I just finished pouring it all out. And he just goes, who drank the rest of the coffee? And I said, I did. And he called me an effing goof. And then fight goes off. All the guards come in, grab both of us. And literally, like, we're not walking down the hallway. We're, like, floating down the hallway. And they throw us in uh, solitary confinement. And it's probably the worst thing you can ever do to another human. I mean, you're in there in your underwear, 23 and a half hours a day, lights on, no mattress until nighttime, concrete block, staring at a stainless steel toilet and sink, wondering, like, and they don't tell you how long you're going to be there yeah what do you do to keep yourself busy do you remember back then what were you like try to do push-ups sit-ups air squats like work out but how many how many times you gonna work out a day think about life think about what am i gonna do different next time i get out you know strategize when i get out of here how am i gonna how am i gonna respond what's the narrative you know and just i don't know man it was like super depressive i think it's why a lot of people that go to the hole try to take their lives because it's like that's why they put you in your underwear. If you, uh, they gave you anything, you'd probably hang yourself, right? And on the third day, I had this guard, Brian, that he wasn't working the day the fight happened. And, and Brian, you know, like these older men in your life sometimes that are like, you know, quiet, but everybody respects them because they've been there for a while. They're straight shooters. And I respected Brian. Like a lot of the other guards, I didn't have a lot of respect for. You know, they're kind of ding-dongs. But Brian, I looked up to in kind of a weird way. And he opened the door and he was just shaking his head. And he said, come with me and we were walking back to the cell block and we got close to the door that goes into the unit we walked past it now in prison there's like walking paths and there's like you don't go it's it's not like free range right and i would never been past the door and the next door is the guard unit and he walks me into that room and there's nobody else in there i've never been in there we're not supposed to be in there and he sits me in the corner and he pulls up a chair in front of me and like my back's facing the two, it's like the corner unit that looks out into the two cell blocks. Ours is on one side and the other. And he just sits down kind of like this man. And he looks at me in the eyes and he says, what are you doing here, Dan? And I was like, well, you know, I got in a fight with Kirk and you know, they threw us in the hole and he's like, nah, not that man. What are you doing in this place? And I was like, well, I got in a high speed chase and stolen cars and guns. And he's like, I don't get it. I've seen hundreds of kids like you, man. And I see you try to stay out of the trouble and just the way you are, dude, like you don't belong here. And I don't know what it was, man. Maybe it's cause he's like who he was and that he was saying this to me. Like I broke down, man. Mm. And I think that was the first time in my life that I had somebody believe in me. Like, I mean, way more than I ever believed in myself. And it like, I don't know, man. I just was like, well, if Brian believes this, maybe there's something there. And what do I got to do? Like, what does he see and how do I change? Because like, clearly I'm making bad decisions. And like, after that conversation, we went back. I like kind of got myself together and we went back into the, it was kind of lockup time. So he put me back in my cell and I just decided no matter what happens, not doing this again. And three months later, I worked my butt off. I started working towards my GED. I stayed to myself and I got released to a rehab center. And uh, this place called Portage. And dude, normal people go there average program three to four months I did 11 wow I had a lot of stuff to work I <laughs> had a lot of stuff to work on and um, this place helped me rebuild the relationship with my family understand my emotions you know I was just I would overreact man I was like like take little things and turn them into stuff that it's like why are you overreacting and, and it was just a special place all the staff there were extra addicts so you want to talk about mentorship? Like I learned at 17, the value of getting around people that had been there before. Prior to that, man, when I was sitting there with a psychologist, a therapist, a rehab person, I'm like judging them
1: so hard. Like you don't know my situation. They
0: don't, I just couldn't even deal with it. I remember many times we were doing like family therapy and I would freak out at the therapist and I'm like, you have no idea. And they were like, this isn't about me. This is about you. I go, I can't even talk to you. I go to this place. I almost left a couple of times. I mean, they built it in the middle of nowhere. So far in the middle of the woods that if you run away, and many kids did, like everybody lived on that street. It was like a hundred miles away from the main highway. (laughs) (laughs) The people knew you were a kid from Portage. Like they didn't pick you up. You had to walk. Most of the kids started and turned around. And uh, luckily this place existed because it saved my life. And it was at the end of that program, I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy. It was built in an old church camp. And we were cleaning out one of the cabins that we never used. And there was this room and inside was an old computer and a yellow book right next to it on said Java programming. It was like a Ziff Davis book. If I remember correctly, I just opened it up thinking like, you know, computer programming, you think it's ones and zeros or friggin' hieroglyphics, but it read like English. It literally, if you look at JavaScript or whatever, it's like, if this, then that, you know, case. And I was just like, boot the computer up and follow chapter one of this book and, took me about 20 minutes, but I got the computer to say, hello world. And I literally was like, you're old enough to get this. I thought maybe I was the Doogie Howser of computer programming, right? Like I was like, oh, maybe all the stuff I went through is because my brain's wired differently. Do you think it was? It's got, I mean, I think what I've learned since then is we can develop anything. So I know I wasn't a great programmer. Later on in life, I met those 10X programmers yeah. and their beautiful minds. I'm not one of them, but it didn't matter because I believed it. So I became obsessed. It became my new addiction. I like got out and I told my dad about it. And uh, I was thinking of doing two things in career: either botany, maybe you can figure out why. Prior to that, I may have been into gardening and uh, or computers. And my dad, very sage advice. He says you should have a garden as a hobby and really lean into this computer stuff. This is '97, so I get out and get introduced to this like little thing at the time called the internet. The most perfect time, and that's that's been my journey. So like. I'm here because people like Brian and all the staff at Portage and, you know, I believe my creator showed up when I needed him. And the thing I'm most proud of is that I still go back every year. I'm literally going next week. Oh, really? Dude, I go back. When I was living closer, I'd go back three times a year, every cohort, tell my story, sit down and talk to them. And my commitment always to just those kids, and I I can't extend this externally because there's enough of them over the last 25 years since that's happened. Where I'm working with a lot of people, but I tell them, get out, stay sober one year, circle back. And when you do, tell me what your dreams are. Yeah. And I will put everything and I've got some resources behind it to help them. And it is some of the most, I think it's why I'm here, man. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. All the other stuff, man, the business
1: stuff, it's cool. Yeah. I don't think that's why I'm here. It's amazing. Do you have any advice for parents that are maybe listening to this who they see their kids going down that path? Yeah. Like, what do they do when they see their kid in the wrong crowd, you know, gardening? Just what gardening, are they doing? <laughs> gardening, <laughs> gardening. And uh, yeah, what do they do? I mean, how do you stop? And you it's just pack so and move? tough, dude. Like, because I'm public now, and, and what's
0: crazy is I didn't ever share my story for 15 years. Mm. So imagine I'm going through the world building software companies, exiting, investing, speaking, raising millions of dollars, and nobody knew that story. Not even my fiance at the time. I share that because as soon as I got public about it, all of a sudden I'm getting these calls, the parents, and I would always take it. I remember so many, I remember one time I was at the gas pump and my friend literally called me and says, my neighbor's kid is in trouble. They're beside themselves. He just got arrested again. Can you take the call? And I was like, absolutely. And I get on the call with the mom and I could tell right off the bat that the challenge, no parent wants to hear this, but the problem is not sometimes the kid, it's the parent. Yes. And I was like asking her about the situation. She's like, you know, he's been arrested twice. And now he's telling me if I don't pick him up and bail him out, he's going to kill himself. And, and I go, did he say that last time? And she's like, yeah. And I go, did you go bail him out? Of course, don't. When I went to prison the first time, my dad and I have two boys today. He said to me, and I can't even imagine how hard that was for him to say this. But he said to me, when he came to visit me the first time, he goes, if you ever go back when you get out, I can't do this. I won't be able to visit you. It's too hard on me. So it's not missed on me how much a parent wants to help their kids. But I know for me, I kind of needed him to say that to understand how serious it was. And, and in his way, show me how much he cared. And true to his word, the second time, dude, six months I was there, he didn't come visit me once. But the day I got released to go to Portage... He was in the courtroom. It was just him. Nobody else came. It was just my dad. He knew there was a high chance I was going to get put on remand and, and to go there, in close custody. And I remember the drive, man. It was like, it's one of those moments I'll never forget. So when the parents call me to talk about this stuff, I'm like, I'm going to share stuff that I know in your heart. You're just probably not going to have the courage to do, but I'm going to tell you it. And I remember telling the moms like, let him hit his rock bottom. Because yeah. here's the deal. If you don't, you're just enabling him and He may accidentally do something when he's high or drunk that's going to take his life and you let it happen. There's a less probability if he goes to prison that something bad's going to happen versus him accidentally drunk or high doing something that's going to cause him to go away for 30 years or take his own life. So like sometimes as parents, by the time that stuff starts happening, it's a little too far too late and and all i can say is and, and if you go to Al-Anon, you go to aa or you go to any treatment facility they'll say like stop being a codependent stop enabling yeah. set your boundaries there's a reason why they do interventions and that's actually how it works but as a parent
1: it's what the do you har- do it's the hardest thing yeah i've had family members go through it it's like what do you do because yeah the, the same the threats of i'm gonna kill myself if that doesn't happen and like can you imagine uh-huh. that you don't and that happens uh-huh. yeah the guilt Such they a, might feel, Yep. but same. I mean, you just got to believe like, man,
0: there's certain things you can control and other ones you can't. And as yep. long as you do it with the right intentions, especially if it's supported by professionals, yeah. like I'm the kid that was in the jail cell. And I'm telling you, if I was there and I could like fast forward to the person I am today, I'm telling you what I wish somebody would do, yeah. even though I'm not going to like it at that time, your kid is going to hate you. Yep. He may not talk to you for a little bit, but trust me if you set the boundaries, and then this is the kicker, go become the person he would listen to. Most parents say to me, my kids don't listen to me. Guys, yesterday at the event we were, we were both speaking at, he literally said this to me. And I looked at him and I, I grabbed his soft freaking jelly arms, <laughs> man. And I go, dude, you don't listen to you. Like, let's be honest. I looked in his heart. And I was like, dude, I don't know why, but God wants me to tell you this. You don't listen to you. And you're upset because your kids aren't listening to you work on you man go be the lighthouse like go you can't show up and say to your kids go for your dreams and it's you you know da 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 and then they watch you chill out drink on weekends you know what i mean like there's a disconnect and i think i think your kids your family they feel it so it's like i just know that when i got sober cuz this is where i got this from right i go to rehab at 17 for 11 months i get out look my other two brothers had issues my sister had like we grew up in a family of dysfunction yeah and the easy thing, what most people do once they kind of have any success, you know this, you have one real estate flip and then it's like, you want to tell the world yeah. about it. Everybody should do real estate. Come yeah. around, everybody. I'll show you how to do it. What I encourage people to do is just be the lighthouse, be the example, you know, like the lighthouse does the same job as the tugboat. There's a ship out in the in the ocean. It's coming into the, the harbor. It's navigating close to land and you want to keep it safe. The lighthouse can help thousands of ships and it doesn't take any effort it's just an example of where the boundaries are by being there yep whereas the tugboat which most people they're like hey you should do this or you know you should stop doing that now now that i'm sober you know do you really need to hang out with johnny like is he really a good influence for you you know i used to hang out with this person i and i it's like don't be that person yeah And then the cool part is that if you just go on that journey of betterment and personal development, and that's what I think like entrepreneurship is, the ultimate personal development program with unlimited compensation, is that when they're ready, you'll be ready for them. When they are ready, you'll be ready for them. Dude, when my brother came to me and he said, I'm done and I want to start a company and I've watched what you've been doing for the last five, six years, I wrote him a check for $143,000. It was all the money I had in my bank account. The reason is because when I was 16 and I was on the run, he called me, said, don't come home. The police are waiting for you. Says, I need to meet up with you. I want to give you something. And he gave me the last $63.10 he had. He was young. He's two years younger than me. Dude, he's now a multi-deca millionaire. He runs the largest home building company, builds multi-units. He's got like, yeah, dude, he's got like 600 units. Like me and him, like my other little brother is like a badass. My sister's awesome. Like (laughs) if you meet our family today, you would not see the family that you think you would see knowing where we came from. And I'm telling you that happened because I showed up as just, I'm just going to work on me. I'm going to go be better. And when they're ready, I will be here. Too many people get, let's say fit. And then they want everybody to eat better. They all, everybody work out. It's like, Hey, why don't you just wait till they come in? Yeah. Right. Yep. Cause when they're ready, man, you can be helpful. But if you're still on your early in your journey, you don't have much resource. So like when yeah. my mom wanted to get sober, no problem, mom. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? I'll fly you there. I'll be there for you. We'll support you. There's parameters. Here's what needs to be true. If you do this, we will show up. Dude, it's like, I know parents want the quick fix, but sometimes it's not that easy.
1: I read a quote online yesterday that said, Don't be the man you want to be, be the man you want your son to be. And I thought that was a cool like oh, idea. Oh, so good. Isn't that good? Yeah.
0: So good. Yeah. Who do
1: I want my like I have a little, I have a three year old son, Wilder. And I'm like, what kind of man do I want him to be? Like, well, what's my dreams for him? I'm like, how can I be that man?
0: So check this out, right? Because the other quote I've heard that's in that same vein is, become the person you needed most in your darkest times. Oh, yeah. But isn't that what we want for our kids? Yeah. Yeah, become the person you needed most in your darkest times, the person you would have
1: listened to. Yeah. That's why I tell you, man, I, I love the business stuff. I'm really, really good at it. Yeah. It's not why I'm here. Yeah. Dude, that's so good. I'm a big believer in this idea. I think I think the first guy I ever heard say it was uh, Gary Keller from Keller Williams Agency uh, wrote the one thing. But he said something along the lines of the purpose of financial freedom is to get your bills covered so you can actually do what you were meant to do on this earth. Totally. And I love that idea of like, you know, once you have a million dollars or $5 million, $10 million, not a lot changes between a million and ten and a 100 and a $1 billion. And I'm not saying people shouldn't build wealth. I mean, I'm still building wealth. But Entrepreneurship, just this idea of knowing how to build a business, lead a team, be a leader, have a vision, that stuff can apply to so much more than just building a business. So it's like, I'm always encouraging entrepreneurs now. It's like, okay, good. You're good at this stuff. Now go make it matter. Like, how do we make that matter? Uh, Hence the whole Better Life tribe that I'm doing is like, I still make, I'll make a billion dollars from real estate. Great. But how do I you know help other people in the meantime yeah that's beautiful man so what came next i mean you started coding you started doing some java
0: yeah i mean it's like this is where the rocky scene of like the montage yeah, gets yeah. in <laughs> um i call it success theater i hate doing it mm-hmm. but i mean there was a lot of struggling i started at 17 and i would just like build stuff and like the first thing i ever built was like back in the day when you download <laughs> yeah, it's i'm aging myself but you know i'm 43 <laughs> and we would download mp3s yep. and then i had a cd burner i was yeah, only yeah, yeah. yeah i love that friend, i know so my <laughs> friends so would good. like come to my house and put the playlist together yep. to burn their cds yeah. so the first thing i ever built to ever charged somebody for was this app that they would install on their computer i built it in visual basic 3.0 early early software stuff and it would connect to my computer and download the drive of files that i had gotten off napster yep. so that they could build the playlist on their computer because the problem was is when they came to my house they're sitting on my computer i want to be on my computer yeah. right like it's annoying so all my friends would just build this playlist and then it would send the the order to my computer and at night i would just like hit start and the cd-rom software would just like take the the order and burn cds and i charged 20 bucks a cd so that was like technically the first thing i ever <laughs> charged for that i built what was on your is, playlist back then oh man <laughs> so some funny shit um <laughs> andre bocelli okay yeah whatever i think it's Kunte paltita that yeah, song yeah, andre yeah. bocelli i don't know why i just love i would code and i would yeah. listen to that song <laughs> but i would also listen to like like i'm a big lincoln park fan yeah. jay-z fan but like i used to listen to punk i grew up skateboarding mm. right so lag wagon pennywise no effects but yeah i got into rap eminem dude eminem oh yeah eminem yeah. like is now that I think about like how, you know, we just hit like a radio on Spotify and it just like finds new yep. music for us. Now I would like burn out CD, yeah. like CD, like it's like the CD doesn't play yes. anymore. Cause it just spun too many <laughs> times and on these like Epic road trips. So yeah, I would just, I just plug in and it was funny. Cause like every night my dad made this deal with me when I got out, he said, if, if you finish the book, there's an unlimited budget for me to buy you books. I'm a self-taught programmer. Mm-hmm. And I would go to the local bookstore, with my dad, I would just like and that smell of bookstores is like, Near to my heart, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, and I would just it. like evaluate yep. like, do I want to learn about networking? Do I want to learn about database design? Do I want to learn about this new like front-end programming? Like whatever it was, and then I would sit there. And the way I would read the book, it's kind of janky. My dad, he moved, but we lived in a small apartment. I love him. Like he knew I needed to change location. I had to change high schools, and he like is life-saving essentially. And bought me a computer and uh, a used computer that we built together, a tower, and uh, there was a printer and I would open the book. And the way I kept the book open was this big ass knife, like a Rambo (laughs) knife. It would like, it's just so funny. Cause like, I think I have pictures of it where I would just sit there, change a page, put the knife back and I would just code. I would go like two, three in the morning. I became obsessed. I didn't want to do anything else. So like, it just started by building other stuff for people building apps, building a site to hold the, this early days of digital cameras. So like I was the guy building web pages for all the, you know, these like half a megapixel friggin' photos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did two failed companies. I did a maritime vacation, which is a vacation rental site. Okay. Yeah. My dad came to me one day and said, I need a, uh, I need a web page for our cottage, right? Because like back in the day, yeah, you just get calls answering yep. the same questions, yep, right. Especially a cottage, it was like a vacation rental. Is it available? Do you accept dogs? How close is it to the beach? How many, you know? So I said, oh, I could build a web page, but to host it, it's gonna be like eight hundred dollars. And he's like, eight hundred. Why do you need a eight hundred dollars for hosting? I, heard, I thought it was like twenty bucks a month. I said, Dad, it's a very special kind of server we need. I said it was eight hundred because I wanted to build an app instead of just a page, I could have yep. built that for free on GeoCities, sure. I wanted to build an app. So he indirectly seed funded my little new business. And it was, yeah, it was a vacation rental site, no different than VRBO or Maritime yeah. Vacation or um, Airbnb, not as sophisticated, obviously, but the first like real money I ever made. And this is like kind of the first company that eventually incorporated. I'm a software guy. So I didn't even know how to get customers. And My buddy, Dave, is a bit of a burnout. And we were talking because he, he'd been watching me build this thing. and I kept showing him and he's like, how do I get more customers? I got my dad, my uncle's got a cottage, get him on board. But like, where do I find these people? He's like, yo dude, I think there's like a magazine, the tourism people have for all the bed and breakfasts. And I was like, where? And he's like, down at the tourism, like the, you come into the province or state. And it's like that. So I went and I grabbed this magazine and shirt sure up the back of it is all the bed and breakfast, all the cottages. So, I just did this, like what people call direct mail, but I didn't know. I just had my little brother enter in all the addresses into an access database and then mail merged with Microsoft. And then we just sent mail. And it was this stupid letter saying, We're Maritime Vacation. If you're looking for a web page, you know, fill out this attached form and send back $30 and three photos. So my dad came <laughs> home one day from work and he gets the mail and there's a stack of envelopes mm. addressed to maritime vacation. And he just looks at me, he goes, what did you do? <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, dad. And we go up to the apartment and we get in the kitchen and we opened up the first one and there's cash. In and he's like, Daniel, he calls me Dan- Daniel. I'm French. He goes, Daniel, <laughs> what did you do? And I was like, all right, here's what happened. <laughs> but yeah, man, it failed because I didn't, I didn't dream big enough, man. I call it maritimevacation.ca. We had, you know, maybe 300 clients. The guy at thecottage.com clearly had a bigger vision for what it could be. Yeah. Did it fail or did you give up? Perhaps. I gave up because it was just customers started leaving for at the cottage. Right. right. So like, yeah. And I had other stuff. I say failure and that's a fascinating question because a lot of times I think we say it's failure, yeah, yeah. but it's just, we chose to go do another yes, thing, yeah. right? In software world, we call it a pivot. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> They're yeah. like, I pivoted. I yep. was like, no, that's <laughs> a crash and burn <laughs> yeah. and new start. Yes. A pivot is one foot firmly planted yes. in the idea and you move around <laughs> it to try to find you know product market fit. So, but that was like not dreaming big enough. That was my lesson there. Then I did a hosting company because if you build stuff that has hosting, you're like, ooh, yeah. host with me. Lesson I learned with that company after I like spent hundreds of hours in a server room, literally installing software. Uh, well, my brother he was a sales guy because he was more like externally. He was more extroverted to me back then, and we got a, a credit union as a customer. And I was working on the site on the weekend, and it went down. Like banking sites, yeah, they shouldn't go down. And it was like a big win and then quickly turned into almost like a major lawsuit. And my brother's like, I'm not doing this. Like, this is too risky. Like, we each put in 5K lines of credit. So I was 21 when we started that. I mean, it's kind of nuts. The big thing there I learned was don't sell a commodity. We were selling hosting, man. Back, yeah, yeah. And this is before Amazon Web Services. Like, hosting back then, it was literally 15 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. You're not competing. So I kind of like walked around kind of deflated for years so started maritime vacation problem I was 18 to 19 and a half then i did nb host 21 to like 22 and a half and then it wasn't until i was 24 that i finally gave it another shot i hired a business coach man i read the book the E Math. oh dude yeah That's dude it was the first book i ever it was the first book i ever man. read but it was like the second or third my buddy cory told me about it and i didn't even read it because my adhd i listened to it while i was driving yeah. i've burnt a lot a lot a lot of fuel yeah <laughs> educating myself because that's the only way for a long time i could consume books Mm. is in the car driving no direction really and i hired this guy bob paid him 1500 bucks a month us i'm canadian man that's real money (laughs) real money didn't even have a business idea like i kind of did but i didn't have a business and dude bob showed me the stuff i was completely blind to about building companies and we did almost a
1: million in our first month or first year dude i want to know about this business but before i do we're going to throw in this week's ad sponsor. But before I get to that, on the show, every guest gets to pick the charity or mission or cause that we direct all the ad revenue from this episode towards. So where are we giving the money to? Globally, probably Boys and Girls Club. Boys and Girls Club? Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a big fundraiser coming up in Maui for the Boys and Girls Club. I have a friend that's deeply involved. so. Yeah, we'll tell yeah, them, them thank you things. on my behalf. Yeah, yeah I love it. Cool. All right, man, we'll do that. With that said, let's roll the ad. Hey, this is a quick ad for wealthier people, like millionaires and those people making a few hundred grand a year or more. If that's not you, feel free to click that little skip ahead 15 second button and get on with the show. But for those of you who are still here, I wanna let you know that I wrote my first piece of, we'll call it fiction, that's actually not that tall of a tale. It's like a short ebook I wrote. It's called How to Invest $100,000 in Real Estate with No Toilets, Tenants, or Trauma. And it's really just designed to showcase in kind of a story format, the difference between being an active landlord and a passive investor and to really help you make the best choice for your future and the future of your family. So get it today at odcfund.com/100k. That's odcfund.com/100k. All right. So a million your first year in that business. What is that? 840,000. Okay. Almost yeah. a million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would care. say I have a billion in real estate. I'm like, no, I have like 800, <laughs> nine, 900 million, whatever. It's close cool enough. <laughs> yeah, we round up. Yeah. we'll, go, we'll round up. Yeah. So what was that business? That was uh, portal
0: software. So back in the day, companies inside their corporate intranet, they would have like the homepage. So for a while it was static. And then eventually there's this thing called like dynamic web pages where like every person that logged in, it would have a unique experience, right? It would be like their dashboard that was called enterprise portal. So today Mm -hmm. it's SharePoint and many other technologies, but I was early to that. I built some software around it. We were selling to fortune 1000 companies and that is crazy on its own. Like how did a 24 year old get Procter and Gamble, Dole Foods, Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, like, yeah, a lot of East Coast pharma companies out of New Jersey, a lot of CPG brands out of you know Toronto and and others, and that's where I learned business. You know, I started reading Good to Great. I was like, all right, I need my BAG, need my yep. you know, I need my flywheel, I need to figure all this stuff out, and I started to like move away from just coding. I still wrote code for probably two and a half, three years out of the four-year journey, but it was like three hours because I loved it. Like, there's something you know, it's like if you're in a construction. Like, at the end of the day, you look back and you're like. I could see what I did. You know, sometimes in business, you wake up and you work really hard and you pass out at 8 PM and you're like, I didn't feel like I did anything today.
1: (laughs) I became a millionaire at 30 and I was still changing toilets and and, and it's like roofing houses. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that journey and, and Bob really showed me how to think about scale. And, And during that man, like, mistake after mistake after mistake, workaholic, right? Working hundred hours a week. My best friend, Nick still jokes. He's like, do you remember that time you came to my birthday party and you brought your laptop? I'm like, yeah, why? He goes, dude, you were like the worst friend to be in like buddies Mm -hmm. with. Like I sat there in his living room. There's a full party going on. I'm talking like a massive house party. And this guy's sitting there in the corner doing emails and contracts. But I was just so nervous of, you know, that was my edge. Yeah. Right, And then what if I stop that, that hustle and the whole thing falls apart yet again? I'm on my third company. My dad, he said to me once, he begged. And like I grew up and did some really stupid stuff. And when I started my third company, he was pretty much saying like, this could be the stupidest thing you've ever done. And I was just like, really dad? Like This, this, <laughs> this is, is the, the thing th- you're going to say is the stupidest thing I've ever done? There's a whole laundry list of stuff. He literally would say to me like, I think you should just go get a normal job. And I go, dad, I'm so unemployable, like I'll probably get arrested because I was so opinionated, man. (laughs) I I just thought everybody was dumb. Like that was just where I was at at that point. Yeah, two years into that journey, you know, we grew really fast. And as you know, the sound of growth is cash flying out your business. It truly is. People are like, whoa, congrats, you've grown so fast. It's like, I have no money, Yeah, right? Unless you figure out what I've figured out now with this like positive cash conversion cycles, most companies require a lot of capital to scale. And here it was, I think it was, yeah, year two, December. I just hired six new people. The team was pretty big at that point, almost 30. And I wasn't paying attention to my financials and Christmas happened. So like December 15th, everybody goes off. The whole team's gone vacation mode, come back January 4th kind of thing. And I'm looking at the forecast and I realize I'm not going to be able to make payroll. And there had been other moments where it got close. I mean, earlier on, six months in, I had to to sell my receivables to a factoring company. So I was like double stupid for for not looking at the financials and hiring too many people, and and realizing, all right, man, like I'm going to have to lay people off or shut the business down. And I went into a bit of a depression. The reason why is because. My birthday is December 26. Mm. So, like everybody on their birthday always kind of does an inventory. Like, what have I done with my life for the last 12 months? Right. Well, and then what do we do on January 1st? Same thing. What have I done with my life for the last year? Right. So, here I am going, I screwed up again and I'm going to fail the third time. Maybe my dad was right. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not a good mentee. Maybe I wasn't listening to Bob the way I should have been. And it got so bad that I would like, at night for three nights in a row, I would just fill the bathtub up and lay, and I'm a big guy, I get it. People are gonna have some visuals, but I would just lay in the bathtub with my nose above water for a couple hours until the water got cold. Don't know why I did that. It was therapeutic in ways. And I remember on the third night, I was just like, you can either let this happen or you can decide to do something. And for whatever reason, I asked myself, who would care if my company failed? And, you know, I was thinking, like, who would care? Obviously, my employees, but how are they going to help me? They don't know, you know what I mean? And then it occurred to me the government would care because I created a bunch of jobs. Our revenue is US based. We're a Canadian company. They love that stuff, right? Because we're bringing export dollars into our country. So I, out of the blue, cold emailed essentially the governor of our province, like, cause all the public officials emails. And I just told him this short story. My name is Dan. I run this company. Here's our revenue year one, year two. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how I continue to grow. I'm running some issues. Is there anybody else like me around? I just didn't have anybody. I didn't have a mentor in yeah. software and technology. Like I didn't know another person that ever made any money in business. Right. And he replies, man, at one in the morning, this guy's name is Frank McKenna. And I've shooken his hand since then. He gave me three people's names. Jerry Pond, Steve Palmer, and uh, Ken Nickerson. And I mean, <laughs> Jerry Pond, if you Google him, and I love Jerry. Jerry at the time was maybe 72. Now he's like 80s. He's like a lot older. And he looked like a grumpy old man. I love Jerry. But <laughs> dude, I was like, I'm not going to message this guy. He's going to rip my head off. Kindest human in the world. I emailed him the next day, replied right away, invited me. It was a two-hour distance, invited me to meet with his team, sat down for an hour, turned it into three hours. He was blown away. He's like, How did you do this? I'm 26 years old. I built this multi-million dollar company. He's like, You got to tell my my VPs, like, what did you do? Because I just I built the company the way I would build software and I outsource everything. So our core team we're only engineers building code. Our financing was done 12 hours away. Our BD or biz dev and sales was done in the US. Like I literally just didn't want anybody that like again, I was opinionated about smart people. So I just want smart people around. Ken Nickerson to this day, one of the major reasons I moved to Silicon Valley to build my other two venture back companies is because he gave me that advice and encouraged me to go. Like that one email from Frank McKenna changed my life forever. And that's when I really understood the power of mentorship, being around yeah. people that have done it before because they compress decades in the days, man. Yep. They truly do. And I, I don't think people understand how, and sometimes it's not, as you know, it's not even what they say.
1: Yeah.
0: It's how they are. Yeah. It's watching them operate. When I went to Jerry's office to see his multi, I think he had like four or 500 employees yeah. and watch how much fun he had with his business partners. Yeah. He's like, Bob, check this out. And they're like, we're in the boardroom. And I'm like sitting there nervous. I'm wearing a tie suit. Like, you know, they're like in whatever polo shirts and stuff. <laughs> and I just I think like that was incredible to learn at that age. And and luckily we saved the company. We quickly fixed the way we did pricing and yeah. cash flow. And four years later we sold the company. I became a multi-millionaire. I mean, it's it's just,
1: dude, it's crazy. Dude, I love that. You know, last summer, you know, I buy real estate, right? Like large multifamily and, and such. I and, figured that by the 850 million. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we buy a lot of apartments and we got six, we had, we had like a dry spell, like six months and couldn't get anything, maybe four months. And then all of a sudden we land six huge apartment complexes in like one week. It was completely nuts. This is like, yeah, interest rates are starting to go up and it was a crazy time, but we got all these apartments and we're like, oh man, we got to raise $120 million in like eight weeks. You know, I raised 20 before and 30 before, at, you know, different times. But this was more than I'd ever raised in three years of business. I had to do it all in one time. So we're like trying to figure this out and we're struggling. We're getting there and it's slowly ticking up there. And I, I start to realize I'm not gonna be able to do this. Like I'm gonna lose millions in earnest money, you know, like the deposit because yeah. I'm not gonna be able to raise this. And I'm gonna look like an idiot to my investors. I and mean, these are good deals, they're really good deals. Just everyone's afraid. And I'm up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and and there's another gentleman up there. His name's Ken McElroy. He wrote the book ABCs of Real Estate Investing. He's good friends with Robert Kiyosaki. And he's probably like, I mean, he's the godfather of real estate syndication, what I do. I mean, he is the goat. I mean, he's the guy. And he's there all month, just like I am. We hung out on a boat a couple of times. And so I'm complaining to another friend of mine. I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, really struggling. This is hard. And he goes, well, what would Ken say? And I was like, I'm not going to ask Ken. Like, he's like, He's right there. Go. You were on a boat with him. Go ask him. He's, I'm like, and when I looked internally, why I didn't ask him, it wasn't because I didn't think of it necessarily. It's because I didn't want to admit that I didn't know what I was doing good enough. Like I don't want to admit I wasn't good enough to a, a men, like a guy that's a you mentor, look up right? To, yeah. I look up to. So I, anyway, am. he challenged me about it. My buddy challenged me. Shout out to Elliot Smith for pushing me on that. And I took Ken out and like, I would, I'd pay a million dollars for that hour long conversation today. Like it changed my life. We revamped everything we do. And like you said, it wasn't just what he said. It was that he made the impossible look like a Tuesday morning. Just like, Oh yeah, no, just do this and this and this and you'll be fine. And it was like, I can't, yeah. overemphasize that. Dude, what I think he did, correct
0: me if I'm wrong, but this is what my mentors have done for me. And just people in general is He extended his power of belief. Yes. Yeah. In the simplicity Mm -hmm. that made you go like, Yeah, I'm just gonna believe him. Yeah. And I think that's the coolest part about this journey we're on is like we get to do that for any other person at any point. Yes. And it could be subtle, man. Like I try to be super intentional because of people that showed up in my life mentors Brian you know in prison to like if I see a dad in line like my wife's like can you stop I'm like no I got to go tell him like I, we were at we were going through passport control recently and I was just so impressed with like this dad responding to his kid freaking out and I just kind of whispered in his ear I was like man you're a good dad. Oh that's cool. Yeah. I just listen to my heart man if I see it I think we just should tell people. It's like cuz people always want to go did you ever go back and tell Brian here's what's bananas about this. Okay. As you can imagine, it ain't easy to find a prison guard. Yeah. Okay. So like people are like, did you talk <laughs> to him? I go, I tried and it turns out they don't allow. And it's like, sure. almost like uh they're like Brian who? Yep. We don't know Brian. I'm like, he works there. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's just the way they do it, which makes sense for safety reasons. But eventually I had a woman that I, she was a counselor at Portage. I finally met and she knew exactly who I was talking to. And I said, could you at least just, ask him and we met and dude like he kind of remembers the conversation (laughs) which you know i asked him i said brian what he goes dude i would do that to a lot of the kids Mm. that was who he was he goes i remember you i don't remember that specific thing because like a lot of kids you see these and i just think it's such a powerful thing we have inside of us to just like lean into yeah to just tell your friends like sometimes we just we're just too busy we don't want to say anything we don't want to make it weird but i'm telling you man like tell somebody if they're a great server just how incredible they are send a message back to the the kitchen if you're at a restaurant and you had an epic meal and tell the chef you know like i just think that power of belief in other people what your mentor did for you that yeah. is what it's about yeah Right, we're and we all have it, so we get to extend it.
1: Yeah, the proximity of people. Yep. Do you know Bob Goff or know Bob Goff? He's an author. Yes, he wrote the wealth book. Uh, yes. Maybe? No, maybe. no, Bob Goff. The uh, yeah. he writes about yeah, religion. Yeah, religion. Yeah, religion. Yeah, He's got a the book called love. love Does, I think. Yeah, Love Does. So awesome some book. Some speak. Some speak recently. I mean. Probably the best speaker I've ever heard, like period. I mean, i seen him speak. He's so now I'm, I'm unbelievably okay. entertaining. Like yeah. just the his style is unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah, but his writing is yeah, writing is amazing. I mean, he sold millions of books, millions and millions and millions of books. He puts his phone number, his actual cell phone number at the end of every single book. He puts his email out there publicly and he answers his phone every time somebody calls. As long as he's not in the middle of something. He answers his phone all day long. He's just driving around, you know, traveling, just answers the phone. Hey, it's Bob. And like anybody can call me. He's like, test me on it, call me anytime. And he says this to this group. And uh, several people in the room are like, yeah, I've called him. Like, I, I talked to him. And he answers every single email, every single one that wow. he gets. And he was talking about this. And he said, because people are the purpose. Like, people are the purpose of all of this. Like, what are we doing if it's not people? And I realized in that moment that I saw people as the obstacle to my purpose. Like, all people, like, oh, another DM, another email, another text. You know, somebody called him. I do all the time phone rings. And I'm like, oh, like, my instant reaction is like, oh, they are an interruption in my purpose. Uh, But that, yeah, Bob, just that one thing changed my life. Dude, that's a big unlock, man. Yeah, people are the purpose. Yeah, it's it's not part of the process to get the outcome. It actually is the outcome. Yeah, that is the outcome. The outcome is people. Because at the end of the day, that's all we have is relationships. That's really good. Yeah, if you get a chance to... Like I'm gonna call Bob. him, Bob. Yeah, call him, dude. dude I have his book. Him. So yeah. <laughs> I put my email in my book. I didn't put my cell number. Yeah, the cell number is that's like a that's a gangster level. move. Yeah, and I still don't like answer everyone my DMs, but I, I'm, I'm dude, trying I don't more answer sensitive. phone calls. Yeah, I don't I recognize.
0: Don't recognize. <laughs> so good for you, Bob. Eight. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I get on more with that, yeah. but like I, I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah, I don't know how he does either. We're gonna get him on the podcast, and I'm gonna ask him that. Well, question. dude, similar to that, do you know who Marshall Goldsmith is? He wrote a book.
0: Uh, what got you here won't get you there. Yes. So, dude, I'm so silly. I sell my company for a couple million bucks. You know, like not even ten but it yeah. like changed my life. I'm sure. 28. I moved to San Francisco and I think, all right, I worked with Bob. I need a new coach. Yeah. I read this book and I email Marshall and his, I don't know how I got past his, his assistant or whatever, yeah. but she schedules this call and we get on a call. And I remember talking to him about like his coaching and how it works. And he's just kind of, he's not smug, but I could tell he was smiling. And he goes, well, well Dan, I, I just want to let you know, cause I asked him about like his fees. He goes, The way I work is I I typically only work with like CEOs of fortune 50 companies and we'll work together and I'll do a 360 interview with their clients. And at the end of the year, they kind of look back on the work we did together and then they write me a check. Wow. And that check is in the neighborhood of, you know, seven figures. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry, Marshall. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not there, yeah. right? Because I didn't even have a business, right? I just sold my company. I'm yeah. like still trying to figure out how to do it my life. So I was like, didn't want to waste his time. But true to his character, he does a hike. Uh, like he walks every day and he allows anybody that wants to go visit him down in Santo Rancho Fe or whatever, down in San Diego. What is it called? Rancho Santa Fe? Rancho Santa Fe. So sure. Is that a place? <laughs> I right. don't know. Americans, please correct me. So he invited me to that, but he said, hey, are you free next week? I'm doing an event in LA. And I was like, I will be there. And he invited me as a personal guest. Mm. And I went there. Because he does that, every Tuesday for the last, because I moved to a new mountain town, we do a hike every Tuesday morning. It's open to anybody.
1: That's a cool idea. Because of Marshall. Yeah,
0: And he doesn't even know I do this. I got to tell him. Because like, he indirectly by saying kind of like, I'm probably not a fit. But again, to who he is as a person, has helped me connect with hundreds of people that have flown in from all over, like from Florida to Netherlands to do a 45 minute hike That's dude so it's good. like the it's like one of my favorite things that happens every week because of again how people show up yeah through their example
1: dude i might start doing hikes. that on maui
0: because dude i'm telling yeah. you like i really think it's i call them founder hikes yeah and it's a cool way you're out of town and you meet somebody cool and they got a restaurant they yeah. got an hvac company you're like dude just come on this hike we do yeah. it in the mornings get it before you you know the the world wakes up and and we just have
1: these epic conversations yeah alex let's do the let's do the hike alex founder yeah, hikes. That's a yes. great idea. Yes. Can we do a founder uh, walk along the beach in Maui? That yeah. Better. I sometimes turn <laughs> them into walks if... Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's cool, man. Oh. Okay. So you obviously built more businesses yeah. and you made a lot more money uh, and you teach people how to do that. I want to get into some non-business stuff for a minute. Uh, you married, yeah. right? You mentioned earlier, you said you were engaged to somebody and then it didn't work out. Can we talk about that for a second? Like, yeah. yeah w- what's that story?
0: It was when I was building my company Sphere. So I was... 27, you know, and like I said, like almost failed, had another, you know, like had to sell my receivables, tried to hustle or kept hustling, then almost went, you know, couldn't make payroll, kept hustling. And at the same time, like kind of a year into building that company, I got into a relationship with this, this woman. And, you know, I was traveling so much. I was traveling like 200 days a year, right? Like all of our customers were the biggest of the biggest companies, Mm -hmm. a lot of HQs visiting, meeting with the tech teams, all that stuff. And, You know, eventually like I was like, she's the one. She was a social worker. She got me. She was beautiful. She was kind. She was like all these things. You'd want great relationship with her parents, all that stuff. So we were on vacation in Bermuda and I proposed and we were engaged. And the wedding was like July of this year. It was like, you know, I'm 27 and I was working like a madman. Like it was just normal for me. Like, wake up, go to the office, work. Right. And it was like a Sunday morning and I'm at the office and she's like, you got to be home by five. We're going to go to my parents' house for dinner. And I'm like, no problem. And I didn't pay attention to time. And it's like 630. So I'm like rushing home. We just bought this house. And when I walk in, I see her in tears and she's in the kitchen and she's like really beside herself. You know, kind of <laughs> sometimes people have an ugly cry, you know, where it's like <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but she literally could not talk. And I was like, worried somebody had passed away. And she literally just goes, I can't do this anymore. And she takes the ring off, leaves it on the counter and walks out. Wow. Yeah. She went to her parents' house and that was the last day we were together. Seven weeks before the wedding. What did you learn from that? I learned that the people that you love, that you say that you're doing it for, never asked you for any of it. Ooh. Ooh. I want that to sink in. I hope everybody gets that. One of my friends said that to me once, he had he had three young kids and uh, he heard me share that story and he broke down he goes, I remember telling my wife five years ago when the business was in a tough spot, I need you to take care of the house because I'm gonna be gone before the kids wake up and I'm not gonna be back until they're in bed. Mm-hmm. And for the next year, and he admitted it turned into two years, he didn't see his kids. And I'm like, they never asked you for any of that. And if you ask yourself, why do you have to work like that? It's because you're not willing to go look in the mirror and figure out how are you showing up? Yeah. You, the world economy is there. Yeah. You don't have to work like that. I wrote a book specifically to help yeah. people not build companies they grow to hate. Yeah. So it was really like self-inflicted. And that's that was the lesson I learned is like, and I was worried, man, because I was so driven, didn't want to lose my edge that I thought maybe I was just going to have to like relegate myself to being the rich uncle, yep. right? That fun uncle that yep. brings presents and all the, my nieces and nephews love, but I can't have kids. I shouldn't be in a relationship. I'm, I'm a piece of crap. And luckily I found mentors and people that showed me a completely different way to build companies. And then once I understood how to get leverage, and that's what I talk about in my book is, okay, well then how does a great relationship work? Yep. And this is all I did. I took the fundamentals of success in business, the rhythms, the routines, the values, the conversations, yeah. all that, and applied it to my home life. Yes. And some people yes. are like, that sounds really like clinical. Yeah. And I go, it works. Yeah. So like me and my wife have a weekly meeting. Every Wednesday we have lunch. Now we have lunch other days, but on Wednesday there's an agenda. And the first question is I ask her how, well, we share wins, right? sometimes people are busy and we're doing so much cool stuff. Like my wife sometimes sees Stuff on Instagram first, so we have a rule oh, now. Happens all the time. I, I not a lot. Yeah. Anytime I have a big win, I have to call her and tell her first. She's mm-hmm. just like, and that and those are and that adopting came, that right now. Yeah, cause. that came from conversations. The other one I'll give everybody is don't answer the phone unless you have time to talk. My dad told me that. Answering the phone, saying I'm really busy. What is it? Don't be that guy. Just don't answer. My dad's like, I don't have anything important to do. I'm retired. I just wanted to talk. So if you can't talk, why'd you answer your phone? Because I want you to know you're important to me. He goes. You're showing the opposite by answering, telling me I'm too busy to talk to you, speed it up. And I was like, obvious. So, yeah, we have the weekly meeting, seven different points on the agenda. We do quarterly reset retreats where we disconnect, we plan, we review our goals, our annual one in December, we review our goals, we update our vision boards, we talk about our challenges, who do we need to become, how do we want to show up as parents, we do an annual seminar of sorts for our relationship, for our marriage, we did Date With Destiny last year. We, Dude, we have a parent coach, we have a coach that literally audits how we interact with our kids. Mm. He's taught us how to be emotional coaches for our kids, the most beautiful thing he taught me that everybody should write this down, no correction without connection. I am not allowed to correct my kid until I slow down and ask them, "How you feeling, buddy?" Oh no, you know what I mean. Like really connect, like be there, and then from there, let them know. Hey, I just want you to know, like you're responsible for your own emo- like emotional health. I can't force you to do anything. I'm just here to help. So you need to tell me how I can help you. Well, my brother did this. Sounds tough, man. So like we have coaches, we have a family coach that flew in to live with us, to watch us. Really? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Wow. She's amazing. Brooks, her name. It was just like, because that's what you do in business. You hire yeah, a coach. Yeah, exactly. Like, yep. dude, I literally just took all the things that worked really yes. well in business and just applied it to our relationship. And it's how we've been able to evolve as a couple. Dude, we're going to be best friends.
1: You're, you're speaking I my language. It. I this love is it. It's great. I want to throw back to one thing, a, a quote that I read online, another quote I read online. It said, "In 20 years, the only people that will remember you worked late are your kids." That hit me so hard. I'm so like, like, "No one's gonna remember. No one's gonna care, except for your kids are gonna remember." And I, I try to remember that. In fact, just this morning, I was supposed to do a podcast. I got asked to do a podcast on Friday. I was supposed to go home on Friday. Yeah, uh, today is Thursday. I was supposed to go home tomorrow. And I was gonna got invited on a big podcast tomorrow, but it's afternoon. My flight was at noon. So I called my wife this morning. I'm like, "Hey." just FYI I gotta stay until Saturday now instead of Friday uh, just one more day because I got this huge opportunity to be on this cool podcast and uh, you know it's gonna be really good like she didn't say anything she'd go okay but I just saw her eyes just like drop a little and I was like can you let Rosie know who's my seven-year- old like can you let Rosie know I was like I was like does Rosie know I'm coming what's coming home tomorrow yeah, yeah if you just don't say anything she won't know until Saturday yeah. and she goes no she's been counting down the days since you left oh us. no and I was like shoot i was like well I'll just try to break it to her lightly and i went on and then a half hour went by hour went by i'm sitting there drinking my coffee before this interview and i was like what the hell am i doing what am i doing and so yeah i just told stetson i'm like we got to postpone that thing like what it'll, it'll be there later. yeah 20 years from now no one's gonna remember that i was on that podcast one day when i'm gonna be back in vegas in there two months we'll, we'll sell
0: ourselves on stuff
1: like yeah. that all the time yep yeah. It's a wild man. But yeah, just that idea though, to go back to using the same business principles and plan it to your personal life. That's changed me as well. I mean, I literally track, did I have a date night or a date with my wife? I have, do I, did I get 10 minutes of connection time? I got the little kids. So they're, they're always with us Yeah, and we homeschool. So, like, so I have to track, did I get 10 minutes of no kid connection time? Yeah. So like just the wife talking and eight times out of 10, I don't get that. Uh, but i track it so at yeah. least i know that i'm not getting it and so then yeah. i'm asking questions like well why aren't i getting it and what can i do better and i have an accountability like group just like we do in business but they know my habits and they know my actions that i'm tracking and so now i'm getting better at them yeah. and everything in my life has gotten better since i started tracking the we, metrics the we inputs. manage what we measure we, yeah, exactly what it is and
0: you're gonna love this man yeah. but the last chat it's a bonus chapter and i almost didn't put it in but my writing partner paul told me to add it and it's literally seven pillars but the way I, I do it, it's literally what you're saying so yeah. health, wealth, relationship, spirituality friends and I, I track myself every Friday I've been doing it for almost a decade yeah and it's just a spreadsheet and my rule is whatever two items in this list of seven gets the lowest score, I just commit to one action item to bring the score up for the next week mm. because that way and this is why I tell people that are struggling their uh, relationship is the marriage, that people that get divorced is because they have a fracture and it gets too wide. So because I sit down with my wife every week and one of the questions we ask each other is how have I shown up as a husband for you? All we're allowed to say as a response is thank you. There's no argument. There's no negotiation. There's no explaining. Thank you. I have the feedback. And as long as I'm not, you know, dead to the world, like you're going to want to do something with it. So I have a shot to make it better. And I think like, if you call that clinical or too structured, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, where else are you getting feedback? Well, I just know she's happy. Ask her. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful, man. Hey, where'd you meet your wife? I met her on Twitter. She hit me up on Twitter. Really?
0: Yeah. Since I'm here, I get to tell my version of the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. She hit me up on Twitter. Now, in her defense, she was doing her job. She was in PR and I was speaking on mm. an event. She reached out to interview me to pick my brains. Yep and then i like looked at her profiles like
1: ooh <laughs> you could pick more than yeah, that yeah <laughs> i'm
0: like you're beautiful <laughs> um yeah luckily i became the person who knew how to talk to women by then but uh <laughs> yeah it was after i think i was like 20 i would have been 29 when we met and um living in san francisco and yeah within 3 or 4 months she decided to move in and Yeah, we kind of both knew what we wanted. And our our two boys are 11 months apart. So they're Irish twins. Really, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yes, right now they're the same age. They're both 10. My sister and I are the same way. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, what's her name? Renee. Renee, what do you love about Renee? Oh man, so much. The thing I love about her, she's a little insecure about, is just how goofy she is. Mm. She's so beautiful. She's like a girl next door kindness. Like I think runway model, beautiful that doesn't realize it. And like, she'll like dance around the house or be silly. And I just think it's the coolest thing in the world. And when I say that to her, I love, I love, oh, you're so goofy. Or I like crack a joke. She doesn't like that. (laughs) So, but yeah, that's what I love about her, man. That's amazing. Yeah. She's just such a down to earth person.
1: And how how are your kids? 10. 10. Yeah. What do you love about each of
0: them? Max loves to measure and tell me about specifics. It's fascinating. His brain is like, He's always running numbers and calculating stuff in his head. And, you know, kind of fun fact, the reason I named them Max is there's actually like science and like, I don't know how much science. I mean, there's got to be around birth orders. Mm -hmm. So the oldest are usually quieter, right? Are you the second oldest? I'm second oldest. Yeah, I'm not surprised. (laughs) 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 The second oldest are usually the black sheep. Yep. So because of that, I wanted my oldest to have a powerful name, Max. Second, being a black sheep, a softer name, Noah. Mm. And so people don't realize it, but I like very intentionally gave them those names to like help counteract the the default behavior, right? So what I love about Noah is just how friggin' cuddly and smiley he is, man. He's like, he can't sit next to Renee or I without having his hand on us. Like with my wife sits, like we'll be out at a restaurant and like in four seconds, Noah somehow finagled his way into her lap yep. and he's 10. I'm like, yep. dude, just leave your mom, give her some <laughs> space, right? but that's, that's what I love about him. It's just, he's, he's very tactile and
1: yep. it's just, he's such a cuddler. Amazing. And that's Max. What's the other one? No, that's Noah. Oh, sorry. That's yeah, Noah. Max likes numbers. I Noah see, yeah. likes the cuddle. Dude. That's so good. Yeah. I'm a big believer in kids live up to their names in a lot of ways. And I, I don't know if it's because we treat them the way well, that we name them. It's dude. Yeah.
0: I grew up being told I was, you know, almost Dennis the menace, man. Mm. Like Dan, Danny, people call me like Danny. Danny's like you know the bad kid or whatever. And it's just <laughs> like, yeah. I think we live yeah, into we labels. Labels, yeah, yeah. So I'm very careful about the words I use to describe my kids. You know, yeah. early Max is good at numbers, and they're like, "Oh, you're so much better than your brother." I was like, "You're essentially saying Noah doesn't know how to do numbers." Yeah, like be careful. I then intentionally stopped praising that default kind of characteristics and start telling Noah, "Like, dude, yeah. you're just as good as your brother."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh my daughter's Rosie, and she's like the prim proper girl. Loves she's the, the oldest. tea parties. She's the oldest. Yeah, yeah, loves the tea parties. Loves the the stuffy she's just like she's all girl and rosie just fits right and then my son uh is named wilder and he is just uh, wild wild he's just a <laughs> <nuts>. <laughs> you gave and him I love the name it. i gave him the name and well, i wanted and he's it. he's the second oldest yeah, yeah. oh it's, wow he's gonna be he's a force oh, and i love dude, it he's gonna teach you so much about yeah. everything yeah you know there's a uh there's a book called uh wild at heart by john eldridge yeah if you i know, know, that know that book okay, yeah. yeah wild at Heart. there's a there's a story in wild at heart where he's hiking or rock climbing with his kids and his kid's young i don't know five six seven and his son is struggling he's at the top and he's looking down at his kid And his kid's really struggling to get up this uh hill and john yells to his kid come on you can do it you're a wild man and he's like the kid just like chest rises and go. he just scales the mountain and uh i love that story and that label that he gave the kid he gave him an identity like you're a wild man and so actually i never call wilder wilder he's only wild man let's, let's oh, listen to cool. his boy it's like hey my wild nickname. man yeah and i'm like i want him to just be that yeah that's the identity like identities come from labels oftentimes and so yeah, yeah picking that and, and you choosing our words that's a uh, words good matter man. man turns out words matter all right man well let's talk about the book a little bit buy back your time what does that mean what does that phrase mean to you
0: yeah to me it's it's helping people avoid as I mentioned earlier building a company they grow to hate. I think too often people think like, I need to sacrifice, I need to invest. And it's not that you don't have to work hard. It's just, you need to figure out like business doesn't exist unless there's people. Yeah. So as soon as you bring people in, you're essentially saying, I'm going to trade money for time, but nobody ever teaches you how to do this. So the buyback principle, which is a first principle, okay, I'm a, I'm a physics computer guy. It's a math principle too. I teach about the buyback formula. States this, you don't hire people to grow your business. You only hire people to buy back your time. If you buy back your time, you will grow your business. If you just hire people to grow your business, you won't buy back your time necessarily. So I call it a calendar over capacity problem. Too often people wanna hire folks to increase their capacity. But they inherently should just not be doing things that suck their energy or cost very little to pay somebody else to do so that they can free up their capacity to go do the thing that they love to do that makes the business the most money. It's actually once you see it, like, and I teach the buyback loop, like they get it. They're like, oh wow, I'm not, I've been doing it ass backwards. And it's like, I know, I used to be that guy. My fiance left me. I had to look in the mirror and go, what beliefs did I have that weren't serving me? And how do I change the way? And, And then, for me, because I'm a little bit more left brain than, than right. I need the math, like show me logically how I was flawed. So I systematically, I wrote down 25 of my best friends, names, entrepreneurs, like podcasters, artists, HVAC owners, lawn care, like literally the small businesses of, you know, America. And I wrote the book and I would just work through every objection they ever told me about everything I'd ever shared with them. And that's why a lot of people, when they read the book, it's like, it's like, you're looking at my soul and I'm like, I'm hoping to, because I've been teaching this stuff for 15 years and I've always, I see where the, I got the, the pushback.
1: What so are I'm some th- tactical things in there? I mean, we like VA, obviously hiring a VA, yeah. hiring an assistant, like, is that what but we're talking more, about? Yeah, yeah. So on that though, it's the buyback loop is three parts.
0: First part is the time and energy audit. Okay. We want to look at our calendar and assess every client I work with. If I do private coaching, which is rare, but you know, high-end folks that are super capable, they run into this as well. But even if you're like no employees and it's just you yep. and you're like, I don't know how to build this company because if I grow, I'm going to, I call it the pain line. I'm just going to have more pain. No entrepreneur is going to grow into pain. Yeah. It's impossible. So what I get them to do is a two week time and energy audit. Every 15 minute timer goes off. They got to write down what they did. Mm-hmm. Yep. So once they've got the audit, right? Most people are like two weeks. I'm like, yeah, two weeks. Like you're doing stuff on Saturday. we got to look at it. Right? right. And then we highlight and read things that take their energy in green things that give them energy. And then we put a dollar sign next to it that's like $1 sign if it's low cost, $4 signs if it's high cost. And then we take all the red stuff and the $1 or $2 sign stuff, put it into a bucket. And I go, that is the only other hire you can make right now. Hmm. You want to go hire another guy to cut lawns? Nope. Look at the work that you go cut lawns Yeah, yeah. and then have somebody else do all this stuff. So there's five levels of hiring. So I call the replacement ladder. There's I literally broke down the process of like how to hire good. Cause most people are shitty hires, how to lead better. Cause most people have, you know, people don't quit companies, they quit bosses. Yep. So most entrepreneurs just don't know how to communicate anything to anybody. So, you know, and then they just don't trust, right. And they have all these beliefs around like, what if they make a mistake, blah, 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 blah. So I really looked at the complete system to help people scale. And essentially like it's bananas watching people implement this stuff. And Like yesterday, a guy came up to me. He's like, I just got 35 hours back in my week. My wife is happy. I feel I got time to go to the gym. Yeah. Like, and then guess what? It applies. You want to talk about family? The last chapter is the buyback light. Dude, we have a house manager. She runs everything that's personal is run through her. My car registration, my real estate stuff, like all our personal assets. She's the CEO of our lives for my wife and I. So that we do one of two things. We either spend time with people we love, including our, obviously our kids, and or do and create cool stuff that only we can do that we love to do. And that's that's what I want from every person, and it's not a zero sum game. Like everybody can have this if they're willing to show up differently. Oh, so good. Book is buy back your time. I'm assuming you can get it everywhere, all over the place, Amazon, bookstores. Yeah, it's it's you know, I published with Penguin. It's become a Wall Street Journal
1: bestseller, mm. and I'd love the support. Love it, man. All right, man. Well, we got to start wrapping this thing up before we get out of here. I want to do one last little uh, segment here called the three, two, one pivot. You mentioned pivoting earlier, mm-hmm. three books that have pivoted your life that have changed the direction of your life a little bit. Two people and one quote. Cool.
0: Three books would be the E-myth for sure. This awesome book. Nobody's not a lot of people. But it's called love is killer app by Tim Sanders. Okay. That was the first, first book I ever read. Taught me to fall in love with reading, and then the third, I would say, think and grow rich. It's the entrepreneurial Bible for sure. Love it. Two people that have changed your life. I mean, oh, you kind of I've mentioned them. Mention a few, but I would say my wife and my dad. All right. And one quote that has changed your life a little bit. Don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Oh, I love that. Quote. Yeah, Jim Rohn or
1: Albert Einstein. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. All it's right, credit. man. The better life question. What have you done in the last year that's improved your life, dude? Getting a jet. Really?
0: Yeah. What'd you buy? I got a little citation. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that if time is money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bought back some time. Yeah, and it turns out I'm stuck in Vegas because my pilot said he's never seen it so hot so the engines, it's not safe to fly oh, out at no. noon. <laughs> so I got to fly out tomorrow morning at like three in the morning, which is just, it's awesome because like you talk about opportunity and like yep. podcasts. So I get to go do some really cool podcasts this afternoon that I yeah. didn't want to do. And yeah, my pilot said, are you sure? Like I'm willing to take some risk. And he goes, uh, there are bold pilots and there
1: are old pilots but they're not bold (laughs) and old pilots i was like enough said that's so good man all right uh last question where can people connect with you at instagram is
0: my favorite that's your thing instagram instagram yeah it's just the the messaging there is really easy for me if anybody especially if they read my book i'm going to do something for your audience that i don't do is if they they want the so everybody wants to know like how do you do the assistant stuff yeah i have a complete like SOP. I'm a playbook guy. Mm. So if people literally want the Google doc, there's no opt-in. I'll just send them the link. If only if they're a listener. So what should they send me? So I know they came from here. Oh, what word? word Brandon better life. Better life. Send me a DM on Instagram. Or you know what? Actually let's do EA so that I know what you're asking for. Sure. EA, executive assistant, and I'll send you the SOP, the standard oh, operating
1: procedures. Yeah. I'll Dude. do that as a gift. I love it. Thank you very much. And your handle is just Dan Martell, two L's and Martell. All right. Perfect then. Thank you. Dude, appreciate, appreciate it. That was awesome. And that is the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on the show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback. I look at the feedback. And we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs, maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash best life, abetterlife.com slash best life. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.